Chapter Eleven of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Eleven. The affection with which Father Goriot regarded Eugène, by whom he seated himself at breakfast, the change in Goriot's face, which as a rule looked as expressionless as a plaster cast and a few words that passed between the two surprised the other lodgers vautrin who saw eugene for the first time since their interview seemed as if he would fain read the student's very soul during the night eugene had had some time in which to scan the vast field which lay before him and now as he remembered yesterday's proposal the thought of mademoiselle taillefer's dowry came of course to his mind and he could not help thinking of victorine as the most exemplary youth may think of an heiress it chanced that their eyes met the poor girl did not fail to see that eugene looked very handsome in his new clothes so much was said in the glance thus exchanged that eugene could not doubt but that he was associated in her mind with the vague hopes that lie dormant in a girl's heart and gather round the first attractive newcomer eight hundred thousand francs a voice cried in his ears but suddenly he took refuge in the memories of yesterday evening thinking that his extemporized passion for madame de nucingen was a talisman that would preserve him from this temptation they gave rossini's barber of seville at the italien yesterday evening he remarked i never heard such delicious music good gracious how lucky people are to have a box at the italien father goriot drank in every word that eugene let fall and watched him as a dog watches his master's slightest movement you men are like fighting cocks said madame vauquer you do what you like how did you get back inquired vautrin i walked answered eugene for my own part remarked the tempter i do not care about doing things by halves if i want to enjoy myself that way i should prefer to go in my carriage sit in my own box and do the thing comfortably everything or nothing that is my motto and a good one too commented madame vauquer perhaps you will see madame de nucingen to-day said eugene addressing goriot in an undertone she will welcome you with open arms i am sure she would want to ask you for all sorts of little details about me i have found out that she will do anything in the world to be known by my cousin madame de beauseant don't forget to tell her that i love her too well not to think of trying to arrange this rastignac went at once to the ecole de droit he had no mind to stay a moment longer than was necessary in that odious house he wasted his time that day he had fallen a victim to that fever of the brain that accompanies the too vivid hopes of youth vautrin's arguments had set him meditating on social life and he was deep in these reflections when he happened on his friend bianchon in the jardin de luxembourg what makes you look so solemn said the medical student putting an arm through eugene's as they went towards the palais i am tormented by temptations what kind there is a cure for temptation what yielding to it you laugh but you don't know what it is all about have you read rousseau yes 
do you remember that he asks the reader somewhere what he would do if he could make a fortune by killing an old mandarin somewhere in china by mere force of wishing it and without stirring from paris yes well then pshaw i am at my thirty-third mandarin seriously though look here suppose you were sure that you could do it and had only to give a nod would you do it is he well stricken in years this mandarin of yours pshaw after all young or old paralytic or well and sound my word for it well then hang it no you are a good fellow bianchon but suppose you loved a woman well enough to lose your soul in hell for her and that she wanted money for dresses and a carriage and all her whims in fact why here you are taking away my reason and want me to reason well then bianchon i am mad bring me to my senses i have two sisters as beautiful and innocent as angels and i want them to be happy how am i to find two hundred thousand francs apiece for them in the next five years now and then in life you see you must play for heavy stakes and it is no use wasting your luck on low play but you are only stating the problem that lies before every one at the outset of his life and you want to cut the gordian knot with a sword if that is the way of it dear boy you must be an alexander or to the hulks you go for my own part i am quite contented with the little lot i mean to make for myself somewhere in the country when i mean to step into my father's shoes and plod along a man's affections are just as fully satisfied by the smallest circle as they can be by a vast circumference napoleon himself could only dine once and he could not have more mistresses than a house student at the capuchins happiness old man depends on what lies between the sole of your foot and the crown of your head and whether it costs a million or a hundred louis the actual amount of pleasure that you receive rests entirely with you and is just exactly the same in any case i am for letting that chinaman live thank you bianchon you have done me good we will always be friends i say remarked the medical student as they came to the end of a broad walk in the jardin des plantes i saw the michonneau and poiret a few minutes ago on a bench chatting with a gentleman whom i used to see in last year's troubles hanging about the chamber of deputies he seems to me in fact to be a detective dressed up like a decent retired tradesman let us keep an eye on that couple i will tell you why some time good-bye it's nearly four o'clock and i must be in to answer to my name when eugene reached the lodging-house he found father goriot waiting for him here cried the old man here is a letter from her pretty handwriting eh eugene broke the seal and read sir i have heard from my father that you are fond of italian music i shall be delighted if you will do me the pleasure of accepting a seat in my box la fodor and pellegrini will sing on saturday so i am sure that you will not refuse me monsieur de nucingen and i shall be pleased if you will dine with us we shall be quite by ourselves if you will come and be my escort my husband will be glad to be relieved from his conjugal duties do not answer but simply come 
Yours sincerely, D. de N. Let me see it, said Father Goriot, when Eugène had read the letter. You are going, aren't you? he added, when he had smelled the writing paper. How nice it smells! Her fingers have touched it, that is certain. A woman does not fling herself at a man's head in this way, the student was thinking. She wants to use me to bring back de Marsay. Nothing but pique makes a woman do a thing like this. Well, said Father Goriot, what are you thinking about? Eugène did not know the fever or vanity that possessed some women in those days. How should he imagine that, to open a door in the Faubourg Saint-Germain, a banker's wife would go to almost any length? For the coterie of the Faubourg Saint-Germain was a charmed circle, and the women who moved in it were at that time the queens of society. And among the greatest of these dames de petit chateau, as they were called, were Madame de Beauséant and her friends, the Duchesse de Langeais and the Duchesse de Montfrignoz. Rastignac was alone in his ignorance of the frantic efforts made by women who lived in the Chaussée d'Antin to enter this seventh heaven and shine among the brightest constellations of their sex. But his cautious disposition stood him in good stead and kept his judgment cool, and the not altogether enviable power of imposing instead of accepting conditions. "'Yes, I am going,' he replied." So it was curiosity that drew him to Madame de Nucingen, while if she had treated him disdainfully, passion perhaps might have brought him to her feet. Still, he waited almost impatiently for tomorrow and the hour when he could go to her. There is almost as much charm for a young man in a first flirtation as there is in first love. The certainty of success is a source of happiness to which men do not confess, and all the charm of certain women lies in this. The desire of conquest springs no less from the easiness than from the difficulty of triumph, and every passion is excited or sustained by one or the other of these two motives which divide the empire of love. Perhaps this division is one result of the great question of temperaments, which after all dominates social life. The melancholic temperament may stand in need of the tonic of coquetry, while those of nervous or sanguine complexion withdraw if they meet with a too stubborn resistance. In other words, the lymphatic temperament is essentially despondent, and the rhapsodic is bilious. Eugène lingered over his toilette with an enjoyment of all its little details that is grateful to a young man's self-love though he will not own to it for fear of being laughed at. He thought, as he arranged his hair, that a pretty woman's glances would wander through the dark curls. He indulged in childish tricks like any young girl dressing for a dance, and gazed complacently at his graceful figure while he smoothed out the creases of his coat. There are worse figures, that is certain, he said to himself. Then he went downstairs, just as the rest of the household were sitting down to dinner, and took with good humour the boisterous applause excited by his elegant appearance. The amazement with which any attention to dress is regarded in a lodging-house is a very characteristic trait. 
no one can put on a new coat but everyone else must say his say about it cried bianchon making the sound with his tongue against the roof of his mouth like a driver urging on a horse he holds himself like a duke and a peer of france said madame vauquer are you going a-courting inquired mademoiselle michonneau cock-a-doodle-doo cried the artist my compliments to my lady your wife from the employee at the museum your wife have you a wife asked poiret yes in compartments water-tight and floats guaranteed fast color all prices from twenty-five to forty sous neat check patterns in the latest fashion and best taste will wash half linen half cotton half wool a certain cure for toothache and other complaints under the patronage of the royal college of physicians children like it a remedy for headache indigestion and all other diseases affecting the throat eyes and ears cried vautrin with a comical imitation of the volubility of a quack at a fair and how much shall we say for this marvel gentlemen tuppence no nothing of the sort all that is left in stock after supplying the great mogul all the crowned heads of europe including the grand duke of baden have been anxious to get a sight of it walk up walk up gentlemen pay at the desk as you go in strike up the music there Barum la la trun la la boom boom mr clarinet there you are out of tune he added gruffly i will rap your knuckles for you goodness what an amusing man said madame vauquer to madame couture i should never feel dull with him in the house this burlesque of vautrin's was the signal for an outburst of merriment and under cover of jokes and laughter eugene caught a glance from mademoiselle taillefer she had leaned over to say a few words in madame couture's ear the cab is at the door announced sylvie but where is he going to dine asked bianchon with madame la baronne de nucingen monsieur goriot's daughter said the law student at this all eyes turned to the old vermicelli maker he was gazing at eugene with something like envy in his eyes rastignac reached the house in the rue saint lazare one of those many windowed houses with a mean-looking portico and slender columns which are considered the thing in paris a typical banker's house decorated in the most ostentatious fashion the walls lined with stucco the landings of marble mosaic madame de nucingen was sitting in a little drawing-room the room was painted in the italian fashion and decorated like a restaurant the baroness seemed depressed the effort that she made to hide her feelings aroused eugene's interest it was plain that she was not playing a part he had expected a little flutter of excitement at his coming and he found her dispirited and sad the disappointment piqued his vanity my claim to your confidence is very small madame he said after rallying her on her abstracted mood but if i am in the way please tell me so frankly i count on your good faith no stay with me she said i shall be all alone if you go nucingen is dining in town and i do not want to be alone i want to be taken out of myself but what is the matter you are the very last person whom i should tell she exclaimed 
then i am connected in some way in this secret i wonder what it is perhaps yet no she went on it is a domestic quarrel which ought to be buried in the depths of the heart i am very unhappy did i not tell you so the day before yesterday golden chains are the heaviest of all fetters when a woman tells a young man that she is very unhappy and when the young man is clever and well-dressed and has fifteen hundred francs lying idle in his pocket he is sure to think as eugene said and he becomes a coxcomb what can you have left to wish for he answered you are young beautiful beloved and rich do not let us talk of my affairs she said shaking her head mournfully we will dine together tete-a-tete and afterwards we will go to hear the most exquisite music am i to your taste she went on rising and displaying her gown of white cashmere covered with persian designs in the most superb taste i wish that you were altogether mine said eugene you are charming you would have a forlorn piece of property she said smiling bitterly there is nothing about me that betrays my wretchedness and yet in spite of appearances i am in despair i cannot sleep my troubles have broken my night's rest i shall grow ugly oh that is impossible cried the law student but i am curious to know what these troubles can be that a devoted love cannot efface ah if i were to tell you about them you would shun me she said your love for me is as yet only the conventional gallantry that men use to masquerade in and if you really loved me you would be driven to despair i must keep silence you see let us talk of something else for pity's sake she added let me show you my rooms no let us stay here answered eugene he sat down on the sofa before the fire and boldly took madame de nucingen's hand in his she surrendered it to him he even felt the pressure of her fingers in one of the spasmodic clutches that betray terrible agitation listen said rastignac if you are in trouble you ought to tell me about it i want to prove to you that i love you for yourself alone you must speak to me frankly about your troubles so that i can put an end to them even if i have to kill half a dozen men or i shall go never to return very well she cried putting her hand to her forehead in an agony of despair i will put you to the proof and this very moment yes she said to herself i have no other resource left she rang the bell are the horses put in for the master she asked of the servant yes madame i shall take his carriage myself he can have mine and my horses serve dinner at seven o'clock now come with me she said to eugene who thought as he sat in the banker's carriage beside madame de nucingen that he must surely be dreaming to the palais royal she said to the coachman stop near the theatre francais she seemed to be too troubled and excited to answer the innumerable questions that eugene put to her he was at a loss what to think of her mute resistance her obstinate silence another moment and she will escape me he said to himself when the carriage stopped at last 
the baroness gave the law student a glance that silenced his wild words for he was almost beside himself is it true that you love me she asked yes he answered and in his manner and tone there was no trace of the uneasiness that he felt you will not think ill of me will you whatever i may ask of you no are you ready to do my bidding blindly have you ever been to a gaming-house she asked in a tremulous voice never ah now i can breathe you will have luck here is my purse she said take it there are a hundred francs in it all that such a fortunate woman as i can call her own go up into one of the gaming-houses i do not know where they are but there are some near the palais royal try your luck with the hundred francs at a game they call roulette lose it all or bring me back six thousand francs i will tell you about my troubles when you come back devil take me i'm sure if i have a glimmer of a notion of what i am about but i will obey you he added with inward exultation as he thought she has gone too far to draw back she can refuse me nothing now eugene took the dainty little purse inquired the way of a second-hand clothes dealer and hurried to number nine which happened to be the nearest gaming-house he mounted the staircase surrendered his hat and asked the way to the roulette table whither the attendant took him not a little to the astonishment of the regular comers all eyes were fixed on eugene as he asked without bashfulness where he was to deposit his stakes if you put a louis on one only of those thirty-six numbers and it turns up you will win thirty-six louis said a respectable-looking white-haired old man in answer to his inquiry eugene staked the whole of his money on the number twenty-one his own age there was a cry of surprise before he knew what he had done he had won take your money off sir said the old gentleman you don't often win twice running by that system eugene took the rake that the old man handed to him and drew in his three thousand six hundred francs and still perfectly ignorant of what he was about staked again on the red the bystanders watched him enviously as they saw him continue to play the disc turned and again he won the banker threw him three thousand six hundred francs once more you have seven thousand two hundred francs of your own the old gentleman said in his ear take my advice and go away with your winnings red has turned up eight times already if you are charitable you will show your gratitude for sound counsel by giving a trifle to an old prefect of napoleon who is down on his luck rastignac's head was swimming he saw ten of his louis pass into the white-haired man's possession and went downstairs with his seven thousand francs he was still ignorant of the game and stupefied by his luck so that is over and now where will you take me he asked as soon as the door was closed and he showed the seven thousand francs to madame de nucingen delphine flung her arms about him but there was no passion in that wild embrace you have saved me she cried and tears of joy flowed fast i will tell you everything my friend 
for you will be my friend will you not i am rich you think very rich i have everything i want or i seem as if i had everything very well you must know that monsieur de nucingen does not allow me the control of a single penny he pays all the bills for the house expenses he pays for my carriages and opera box he does not give me enough to pay for my dress and he reduces me to poverty in secret on purpose i am too proud to beg from him i should be the vilest of women if i could take his money at the price at which he offers it do you ask how i with seven hundred thousand francs of my own could let myself be robbed it is because i was proud and scorned to speak we are so young so artless when our married life begins i never could bring myself to ask my husband for money the words would have made my lips bleed i did not dare to ask i spent my savings first and then the money that my poor father gave me then i ran into debt marriage for me is a hideous farce i cannot talk about it let it suffice to say that nucingen and i have separate rooms and that i would fling myself out of a window sooner than consent to any other manner of life i suffered agonies when i had to confess to my girlish extravagance my debts for jewelry and trifles for our poor father had never refused us anything and spoiled us but at last i found courage to tell him about them after all i had a fortune of my own nucingen flew into a rage he said that i should be the ruin of him and used frightful language i wished myself a hundred feet down in the earth he had my dowry so he paid my debts but he stipulated at the same time that my expenses in future must not exceed a certain fixed sum and i gave way for the sake of peace and then she went on i wanted to gratify the self-love of someone whom you know he may have deceived me but i should do him the justice to say that there was nothing petty in his character but after all he threw me over disgracefully if at a woman's utmost need somebody heaps gold upon her he ought never to forsake her that love should last for ever but you at one-and-twenty you the soul of honour with the unsullied conscience of youth will ask me how a woman can bring herself to accept money in such a way mon dieu is it not natural to share everything with the one to whom we owe our happiness when all has been given why should we pause and hesitate over a part money is as nothing between us until the moment when the sentiment that bound us together ceases to exist were we not bound to each other for life who that believes in love foresees such an end to love you swear to love us eternally how then can our interests be separate you do not know how i suffered to-day when nucingen refused to give me six thousand francs he spends as much as that every month on his mistress an opera dancer i thought of killing myself the wildest thoughts came into my head there have been moments in my life when i have envied my servants and would have changed places with my maid it was madness to think of going to our father anastasie and i have bled him dry our poor father would have sold himself if he could have raised six thousand francs that way 
I should have driven him frantic to no purpose. You have saved me from shame and death. I was beside myself with anguish. Ah, monsieur, I owed you this explanation after my mad ravings. When you left me just now, as soon as you were out of sight, I longed to escape, to run away. Where? I did not know. Half the women in Paris lead such lives as mine. They live in apparent luxury, and in their souls are tormented by anxiety. I know of poor creatures even more miserable than I. There are women who are driven to ask their tradespeople to make out false bills, women who rob their husbands. Some men believe that an Indian shawl worth a thousand louis only cost five hundred francs others that a shawl costing five hundred francs is worth a hundred louis there are women too with narrow incomes who scrape and save and starve their children to pay for a dress i am innocent of these base meannesses but this is the last extremity of my torture some women will sell themselves to their husbands and so obtain their way but I, at any rate, am free. If I chose, Nussingen would cover me with gold, but I would rather weep on the breast of a man whom I can respect. Ah, to-night Monsieur de Marsay will no longer have a right to think of me as a woman whom he has paid. She tried to conceal her tears from him, hiding her face in her hands. Eugène drew them away and looked at her. She seemed to him sublime at that moment. "'It is hideous, is it not?' she cried, "'to speak in a breath of money and affection. "'You cannot love me after this,' she added. The incongruity between the ideas of honour, which make women so great, and the errors in conduct, which are forced upon them by the constitution of society, had thrown Eugène's thoughts into confusion. He uttered soothing and consoling words, and wondered at the beautiful woman before him, and at the artless imprudence of her cry of pain. "'You will not remember this against me?' she asked. "'Promise me that you will not.' "'Ah, madame, I am incapable of doing so,' he said. She took his hand and held it to her heart, a movement full of grace that expressed her deep gratitude. "'I am free and happy once more, thanks to you,' she said. "'Oh, I have felt lately as if I were in the grasp of an iron hand. But after this I mean to live simply and to spend nothing. You will think me just as pretty, will you not, my friend? Keep this,' she went on, as she took only six of the banknotes. In conscience I owe you a thousand crowns, for I really ought to go halves with you. Eugène's maiden conscience resisted, but when the baroness said, I am bound to look on you as an accomplice or as an enemy, he took the money. It shall be a last stake in reserve, he said, in case of misfortune. That was what I was dreading to hear, she cried, turning pale. Oh, if you would that I should be anything to you, swear to me that you will never re-enter a gaming-house. Great heaven, that I should corrupt you, I should die of sorrow. 
they had reached the rue saint-lazare by this time the contrast between the ostentation of wealth in the house and the wretched condition of its mistress dazed the student and vautrin's cynical words began to ring in his ears seat yourself there said the baroness pointing to a low chair beside the fire i have a difficult letter to write she added tell me what to say say nothing eugene answered her put the bills in an envelope direct it and send it by your maid why you are a love of a man she said ah see what it is to have been well brought up that is the beauseant through and through she went on smiling at him she is charming thought eugene more and more in love he looked round him at the room there was an ostentatious character about the luxury a meretricious taste in the splendor do you like it she asked as she rang for the maid therese take this to monsieur de marsay and give it into his hands yourself if he is not at home bring the letter back to me therese went but not before she had given eugene a spiteful glance dinner was announced rastignac gave his arm to madame de nucingen she led the way into a pretty dining-room and again he saw the luxury of the table which he had admired in his cousin's house come and dine with me on opera evenings and we will go to the italien afterwards she said i should soon grow used to the pleasant life if it could last but i am a poor student and i have my way to make oh you will succeed she said laughing you will see all that you wish will come to pass i did not expect to be so happy it is the wont of women to prove the impossible by the possible and to annihilate facts by presentiments when madame de nucingen and rastignac took their places in her box at the bouffon her face wore a look of happiness that made her so lovely that every one indulged in those small slanders against which women are defenceless for the scandal that is uttered lightly is often seriously believed those who know paris believe nothing that is said and say nothing of what is done there eugene took the baroness's hand in his and by some light pressure of the fingers or a closer grasp of the hand they found a language in which to express the sensations which the music gave them it was an evening of intoxicating delight for both and when it ended and they went out together madame de nucingen insisted on taking eugene with her as far as the pont neuf he disputing with her the whole of the way for a single kiss after all those that she had showered upon him so passionately at the palais royal eugene reproached her with inconsistency that was gratitude she said for devotion that i did not dare to hope for but now it would be a promise and will you give me no promise ingrate he grew vexed then with one of those impatient gestures that fill a lover with ecstasy she gave him her hand to kiss and he took it with a discontented air that delighted her i shall see you at the ball on monday she said as eugene went home in the moonlight he fell to serious reflections he was satisfied and yet dissatisfied 
he was pleased with an adventure which would probably give him his desire for in the end one of the prettiest and best-dressed women in paris would be his but as a set-off he saw his hopes of fortune brought to nothing and as soon as he realized this fact the vague thoughts of yesterday evening began to take a more decided shape in his mind a check is sure to reveal to us the strength of our hopes the more eugene learned of the pleasures of life in paris the more impatient he felt of poverty and obscurity he crumpled the banknote in his pocket and found any quantity of plausible excuses for appropriating it he reached the rue neuve sainte genevieve at last and from the stairhead he saw a light in goriot's room the old man had lighted a candle and set the door ajar lest the student should pass him by and go to his room without telling him all about his daughter to use his own expression eugene accordingly told him everything without reserve then they think that i am ruined cried father goriot in an agony of jealousy and desperation why i have still thirteen hundred livres a year mon dieu poor little girl why did she not come to me i would have sold my wants she should have had some of the principal and i would have bought a life annuity with the rest my good neighbor why did not you come to tell me of her difficulty how had you the heart to go and risk her poor little hundred francs at play this is heart-breaking work you see what it is to have sons-in-law oh if i had hold of them i would wring their necks mon dieu crying did you say she was crying with her head on my waistcoat said eugene oh give it to me said father goriot what my daughter's tears have fallen there my darling delphine who never used to cry when she was a little girl oh i will buy you another do not wear it again let me have it by the terms of her marriage contract she ought to have the use of her property to-morrow morning i will go and see derville he is an attorney i will demand that her money should be invested in her own name i know the law i am an old wolf i will show my teeth here father this is a banknote for a thousand francs that she wanted me to keep out of our winnings keep them for her in the pocket of the waistcoat goriot looked hard at eugene reached out and took the law student's hand and eugene felt a tear fall on it you will succeed the old man said god is just you see i know an honest man when i see him and i can tell you there are not many men like you i am to have another dear child in you am i there go to sleep you can sleep you are not yet a father she was crying and i have to be told about it and i was quietly eating my dinner like an idiot all the time i who would sell the father son and holy ghost to save one tear to either of them an honest man said eugene to himself as he lay down upon my word i think i will be an honest man all my life it is so pleasant to obey the voice of conscience perhaps none but believers in god do good in secret and eugene believed in a god 
the next day rastignac went at the appointed time to madame de beauseant who took him with her to the duchesse de caroliano's ball the marechal received eugene most graciously madame de nucingen was there delphine's dress seemed to suggest that she wished for the admiration of others so that she might shine the more in eugene's eyes she was eagerly expecting a glance from him hiding as she thought this eagerness from all beholders this moment is full of charm for one who can guess all that passes in a woman's mind who has not refrained from giving his opinion to prolong her suspense concealing his pleasure from a desire to tantalize seeking a confession of love in her uneasiness enjoying the fears that he can dissipate by a smile in the course of the evening the law student suddenly comprehended his position he saw that as the cousin of madame de beauseant he was a personage in this world he was already credited with the conquest of madame de nucingen and for this reason was a conspicuous figure he caught the envious glances of other young men and experienced the earliest pleasures of coxcombry people wondered at his luck and scraps of these conversations came to his ears as he went from room to room all the women prophesied his success and delphine in her dread of losing him promised that this evening she would not refuse the kiss that all his entreaties could scarcely win yesterday rastignac received several invitations his cousin presented him to other women who were present women who could claim to be of the highest fashion whose houses were looked upon as pleasant and this was the loftiest and most fashionable society in paris into which he was launched so this evening had all the charm of a brilliant debut it was an evening that he was to remember even in old age as a woman looks back upon her first ball and the memories of her girlish triumphs the next morning at breakfast he related the story of his success for the benefit of father goriot and the lodgers vautrin began to smile in a diabolical fashion and do you suppose cried that cold-blooded logician that a young man of fashion can live here in the rue neuve saint Geneviève in the maison vauquer an exceedingly respectable boarding-house in every way i grant you but an establishment that none the less falls short of being fashionable the house is comfortable it is lordly in its abundance it is proud to be the temporary abode of a rastignac but after all it is in the rue neuve saint Geneviève, and luxury would be out of place here where we only aim at the purely patriarchal orama if you mean to cut a figure in paris my young friend vautrin continued with half paternal jocularity you must have three horses a tilbury for the mornings and a closed carriage for the evening you should spend altogether about nine thousand francs on your stables you would show yourself unworthy of your destiny if you spent no more than three thousand francs with your tailor six hundred in perfumery a hundred crowns to your shoemaker and a hundred more to your hatter as for your laundress there goes another thousand francs a young man of fashion must of necessity make a great point of his linen if your linen comes up to the required standard people often do not look any further 
love and the church demand a fair altar-cloth that is fourteen thousand francs i am saying nothing of losses at play bets and presents it is impossible to allow less than two thousand francs for pocket-money i have led that sort of life and i know all about these expenses add the cost of necessaries next three hundred louis for provender a thousand francs for a place to roost in well my boy for all these little wants of ours we had need to have twenty-five thousand francs every year in our purse or we shall find ourselves in the kennel and people laughing at us and our career is cut short good-bye to success and good-bye to your mistress i am forgetting your valet and your groom is christophe going to carry your billet doux for you do you mean to employ the stationery you use at present suicidal policy hearken to the wisdom of your elders he went on his space voice growing louder at each syllable either take up your quarters in a garret live virtuously and wed your work or set about the thing in a different way vautrin winked and leered in the direction of mademoiselle taillefer to enforce his remarks by a look which recalled the late tempting proposals by which he had sought to corrupt the student's mind End of chapter 11